0: This week on Big Me Out. Let it slide. Let it slide. Let it slide. Let it slide. Let it make it sound so nice. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> With your hosts, Jason Diaz
1: jay we're back again with another episode thanks to our dig me out union on patreon you can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com and speaking of the union jay we need to welcome mr darren evanchuk who has joined us welcome darren darren uh your name sounds like a 1990s buffalo sabers uh for, uh, forward i'm thinking of dale howard chuck or dave Andrechuk. those are my two of my favorite buffalo sabers welcome to the front line uh helmed by alexander Mogilny or pat lafontaine <laughs> man your memory is something dude that's the uh, that's really Impressive. i have this memory from like 88 to 92 of everything yeah. and then everything yeah. after that kind of just goes haywire so it's i get all that it's, all, it's all
0: wikipedia it. after that are you like me you find yourself like unable to remember new things now because you're like it's all full of just nonsense from, from this one period of my life
1: yes like things like what was i supposed to do today did i put it <laughs> on my calendar if i didn't there's no way i'm going to remember I- That's basically it. Uh, So welcome, Darren. And I hope you had a chance to vote in our recent uh, poll because this is a runner-up review. We just did a a previous runner-up review with That Dog. It was a second place finish in one of our monthly polls. And this is our last review episode of 2020. We'll be wrapping up the season or the the year with our our wrap-up show, uh, for the last week of the year, it's our tradition to do that—to look back on the year fondly, with uh, you know, with, with memories of just how wonderful everything was. On the on the, on the podcast, and um, so we've had a couple open spots here at the end. We said we want to do some some runner-up reviews, ones that were so close. This one actually went to a runoff, yeah, where it lost in a in a dead heat. Uh, we tied in a dead heat with uh, with Mark Lanegan's "Whiskey for the Holy Ghost." So we we sent it to a a, a sudden death overtime, and it, it it lost that. It tied and then lost. So we're bringing it back. Mudhoney's "Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge" the album from 1991, released on Sub Pop. Jay, I know you know who, who Mudhoney are. This isn't like a new band. That you're right. unfamiliar with, had you actually listened to much Mud Honey? Beho- besides, "Touch Me," I'm sick, uh, better known as "Touch Me," I'm Dick from Citizen Dick in Singles.
0: <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I mean, other than comps and just hearing them maybe in, in movies and stuff, uh, you know, documentaries mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, maybe a playlist here and there. Not really. I mean, they are. It's about time we've reviewed them because yeah you know it's like 90 if you go through the hierarchy it's like 90s rock music grunge nirvana mud honey <laughs> like basically yeah like you way out of like the tree
1: um so yeah it's about time so as I mentioned this album came out uh July 26 1991 was produced by Conrad uno this is the second album full length by the band. Their self-titled came out in 1989 and um, their EP. Well, they had a bunch of EPs. I don't know about a bunch, but their infamous or most famous EP is um, super, super, super fuzz, big muff. That's their first EP that people kind of like know them from. It's Jack and Dino produced in and out of grace was the single and then they re-released it in 1990 as Super Muff, Super Fuzz, Big Muff, plus early singles. And that included Touch Me, I'm Sick, which was from actually the EP Boiled Beef and Rotting Teeth. And that has the it has Touch Me, I'm Sick and a cover of Hate the Police by the Dicks. And then a song called Sweet Young Thing, Ain't Sweet No More, which I think has been used in... Um, a movie or two uh, or at least or was on a another a, a comp like you mentioned and then uh, the debut came out in 1989 and every good boy deserves fudge in 91 and it was followed up by a piece of cake in 1992 the band as everybody knows is from seattle washington the it's been pretty much the same lineup except for one change mark arm on vocals and guitar steve turner on guitar um guy madison on bass and drummer dan peters matt lucan was the original bass player but he left in 1999 um and actually after that um he he worked a couple different jobs and he's a carpenter (laughs) so but i think he's pretty much like retired he doesn't do music anymore um, but there's a Pearl Jam song called Lucan, which is written about him. It's on, um, I think it's on No Code, if I remember correctly. So they've, they've been an active band and they've continually put out material. I mentioned a piece of cake came out in 90, came out in 92. My brother, the cow came out in 95. Tomorrow hits a day 98. Since we've become translucent in 2002, under a billion suns in 2006, Lucky Ones in 2008, Vanishing Point in 2013, and Digital Garbage in 2018. So every couple of years, they're putting out a record. And I believe so. If you watch some, it might be the Pearl Jam, one of the Pearl Jam documentaries, because there's been a couple. Um, I think they talk about Mud Honey, their connection to Mud Honey, because obviously their connection between Green River. And and Mark Arm and and Jeff Ament and Stone Gossard, um, that even when they were like kind of a well not well known I mean they were known amongst people who were you know musicians and they you know they did tour a lot in the '90s uh, but they were still like working at Sub Pop in like the mailroom and had regular jobs they didn't this this was never completely a um a full-time band Hmm. because they just didn't sell enough records right i think they did you know well enough on tours to maybe keep the overhead low sure but um yeah they were not a uh they were not a band like pearl jam which was able to you know just do this full time yeah um so we did get some comments over at patreon and we'll, we'll divulge the results of the poll whether this is a worthy album better ep or decent single at the end but let's get through some of the comments here johnny hooper said one of the top tier Mudhoney honey albums lots of super fuzz lots of big muff sean brown said extremely worthy one of their very tippy top couple records to be sure kyle bittner while i prefer Superfuzz and piece of cake this classic ditty is required listening and deserves full album status Steve Muzinski, as someone who is pretty well versed with the band's catalog, entire catalog, I have to be honest and admit this doesn't re- this record doesn't land in my top five. But that's not to say I don't see it as a worthy album because I certainly do. This is the band's arguably at their height, or the band arguably at their height, success laying down a bare bones eight track cohesive representation of what Mud Honey was—a raucous punk rock band with absolutely no thrills. The band was extremely tight at the time of recording this, and I think it shows on the album in a big way. And there's a whole bunch more, but I can't get to it all, so I can get to everybody. Um, David Gorgos, on the opposite end, this band is a chore to listen to. The lead guitar is grating to my ears, as is Arm's voice. I like a lot of weird shit, but this ain't it. (laughs) I have a short list of very smart people who I like to hear talk or write essays but I don't want to hear their music. Tom Morello, Mark Arm, <laughs> Kenny G, and Kurt Cobain for band recommendations. And then he also threw in Richard Marks, too. <laughs> um, good. That's a, that's I a guess good we sh- point. We should have known better that he wouldn't like Richard Marks. Does anybody get my Richard Marks reference? Okay. No. Uh, Shouldn't know better as a Richard Marks song. Oh
0: Jesus! <laughs> you had me on that. I, I, l- I think I put all of uh, Richard Marx's music out of my brain. That's one well, thing it's... I, I did uh, uh, let go in my memory.
1: On my eighty-six, eighty-seven mixtape, there are multiple Richard Marks songs. Oh, uh, that's right. I'm sure there are. <laughs> because because uh, twelve-year-old Tim was was down with the mullet uh darren lehman said it's sacrilege i know but i'm not a fan and never have been but i understand and respect their importance and how instrumental they were to bringing focus to the seattle sound and sub pop this album is not an easy listen richard waterman i agree with both of you especially on richard Marks. i love his essays never been a fan of mud honey and god knows i've tried just can't get into it i always vote so i'm gonna have to give it a single David Gorgos then said, there are many bands I admire but don't enjoy. Zappa comes to mind. Then there are bands I enjoy but don't admire. The Rolling Stones. Interesting.
0: Hot takes in this post.
1: This is some hot. Smoking <laughs> takes. <laughs> Phil Fleming, like Mudhoney. What, what were you going to say? I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Bring the uh, heat. Phil Fleming says, uh, Mudhoney never really appeared to, appealed to. To me, since Green River had very limited appeal, mostly due to the Pearl Jam Mother Love Bone connection, Mark Arm's steadfast adherence to the punk punk aesthetic, while certainly admirable, ultimately worked to his detriment musically, at least from a commercial standpoint. And then Mike Bond said, Any Mudhoney album is, worthy, is a worthy album, in my opinion. Whilst this isn't quite their best work, that blend of Mark Arm's sneering vocals and fuzzed up garage, garage rock just does it for me every time. All right, so lots of debate on this one. Like there was, this is not a runaway by any means. It'll be interesting to see how the poll plays out after we talk about "Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge." So Jay, tell me one thing you liked about "Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge" by Mud Honey. So this record was a bit of a. Um
0: It's like a journey through garage rock to me. Like, Mm -hmm. how far can you push that concept? And I think this, this record, probably this whole band's catalog, which I don't know that well, but for sure this record tries to take the concept of a garage rock band, basically basic riffs, kind of 60s primitive style rock and roll songwriting, and then throw in some punk attitude, you know, just no frills, DIY.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like we're just going to do what we feel. And the thing that though, that they're putting on top of that is they're starting to introduce either aggression, you know, uh, or all these other instruments, which were unexpected for me. So, you know, for the first song, Generation uh, Genocide, I don't know if this song's done in, ironically but it it has a very psychedelic kind of vibe to it or maybe even like vintage deep purple
1: yeah with the like, organ. or like question of the mysterians like yeah yeah, yeah. you know like that yeah very yeah. 60s psychedelic which was unexpected
0: i didn't think this i wouldn't expect my honey to sound like that so it right off the out of the gate it it kind of perked me up and Um, you know, maybe pay attention to and expect this record to maybe go in some directions I didn't necessarily anticipate. Which in some ways it does. I think the probably more from the instrumentation standpoint, you know, the addition of harmonica organs, you know, there's some slide guitar. There's some things in that you wouldn't necessarily think of as you know a fuzzy, just a fuzzy, you know, grunge band um that they go into. Some of the music as well, it's not all, you know, driving up tempo, you know, punk energy there are times when it gets more mid-tempo-y and kind of moody particularly the first you know i would say first four tracks on the record you don't really turn on the jet boosters until track four where it you know gets to be more of a, a what i would expect mud hunting to sound like you know louder more distortion f- particularly in f- particular faster tempo you know, just picking up the pace a little bit. So you definitely go through this journey of, you know, what it means, I guess, to be a, just a raw, what we call garage rock band, like music. You would just get together mm-hmm. and write quickly, fairly quickly and just jam out. And in that journey, I heard a ton of other references. And that's the other part of this, that when you think about, you know, how far can you push garage rock on a record when you do that, Uh, or when they do that it's interesting to me like the either influences that expose themselves or the way they maybe influenced others or um related to other bands so i heard like sort of the ingredients for local h on this record you Hmm. know in a song like something so clear particularly on the drums um and just the some of the riffs and in the overall like aesthetic you know to me as local h is a much more polished version of this but some of the energy and concepts that are here I could definitely see um you know being the seed for for a band like local h it's interesting that we reviewed Green River for the 80s podcast not too long ago mm-hmm. and mark arms sings pretty different on that record and my impression was when he was in Green River they were doing like the Seattle's garage version of Aerosmith. <laughs> and now he's doing, uh, Seattle's garage version of Iggy Pop. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then you hear, so you hear that, you know, I, I think vocally that's who he reminds me of the most. Um, but then I hear things like on Thorn, you know, there's a Chuck Berry solo style solo in there. And, um, I hear some things that sound similar to Nirvana and I hear some things that with when they add that harmonic in, that sounds a lot like Zen Gorilla to me, which is another band we, we reviewed. Mm-hmm. So There's all of these new bomb Turks, was another band that kind of came into mind. Now I, they were, you know, more peers with them, but still, when you're in that sort of uh, just that pure, um, unadulterated, sort of not overproduced raw rock, you know, garage rock genre, it's kind of interesting how many other bands you can, you know, sort of conjure or inspire or um you know uh relate to so i heard quite a bit of references on this record that i wouldn't necessarily thought i would you know i always thought of honey being fairly singular and unique but mm-hmm. i both i definitely heard both ends of the spectrum of maybe who they influenced who they were like at the time and then who they were influenced by throughout this this record
1: yeah and you know there's a quote I don't remember who it was but they basically said grunge was the combination of Black Flag and Black Sabbath yeah it was taking you know the punk and combining it with the metal and to me I hear when it turns on the punk side like you mentioned I hear more of the Iggy Pop and like something so clear that guitar riff is so close to TVI by Iggy and Stooges I mean it's very simple just like two note guitar riff but yep. when you play it clean and then you play it with fuzz it becomes something awesome and yep. i think what i what i realized actually i've i've listened to most Mudhoney albums just on like a cursory basis i didn't like deep dive into them in terms of repeated listens i just gave them like a once over a long time ago and I think what I realize yep. now is that if this band had been from Detroit and not from Seattle, they would have never been a, associated with grunge. Yeah. They would have been a garage rock band. They would have been the precursor for the White Stripes. And, you know, you mentioned like New Bomb Turks. There's more, there's more to do with Midwestern gutter punk, as it's called, uh, in the, in the 90s than there is really to do with Seattle grunge. Um, I mean, there there is an element of punk, but there's like no element of metal. To yeah, any there's of no black.
0: This. Even though it's fuzzy, there's no Black Sabbath in this.
1: No, it's got it's got more in terms of the fuzz, and the fuzz is relative. I mean, it's like a a very nasty fuzz. It's not a no. Queens of the Stone Age, Caius stoner or or, or desert rock fuzz. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely a a big muff with the bass turned all the way down and the treble turned up. Uh, yeah. And they're playing,
0: um, different kinds of chords too. Right. they're not right. down to, they're not playing bar chords. It's more open chords or yeah, it's just a different approach to fuzz.
1: Yep. And when this band is up tempo and preferably like two two minutes, two and a half minutes, like that to me is their sweet spot. Yeah. They, they know how to like, just tear through a really fun obnoxious uh you know arms mark arms vocal works best in that format he, he was built for that that little snarl and and his his um delivery is just it's made for that up-tempo raucous sound and even though something so clear goes on to like 415 it it works in that format like you mentioned there's a there's a lot of bombast to that song um but i do like when they throw in the oddball instrumentation like an organ like a a harmonica like that to me is what makes the songs interesting is when you i know that they're a guitar based drum and vocal band you add one little extra element then you're then you are like paying attention that there's one little thing extra we can do and to make this song interesting. And that's what I think takes it over the top on a lot of these songs is that yeah. they, I mean, this could very easily be a very dry and, and sort of repetitive record, but throwing those little things in really makes a difference uh, throughout it. But I don't think that there is, I, I think while there's a lot of good songs, I don't think that there is like a standout song. Do you feel that way? like there's like touch me i'm sick like that has a blazingly good chorus and i I didn't get that here
0: yeah i guess the song that stood out to me was poking around (laughs) because it's got such a great like melodic guitar line The one that really it doesn't have the, like you're saying, the vocal hook, but at least it has the like immediately catchy, recognizable um, melody to it. Right. Um, so that was the one that stood out most for me. But yeah, it doesn't have the kind of signature. There's not like a, a big chorus on this that you're going to remember or some clever line.
1: Yeah, that's what I think I was just missing. Uh, um, to get into maybe what didn't work, I was just missing like some, a little bit more clever and, and something to, to make me go, Oh, that's a good one. Like no. they're, they're all fine songs on their own, but there's no, like there's nothing that makes me think, Oh, they, they, they really nailed it vocally or, or melodically on, on the songs Cause a, there's, like I said, there's a lot of fine, like, garage rock two and a half minute three minute long songs but they never nail that chorus the way that some of the earlier um EPs did or or with because there's a I mean there's a couple of really memorable songs on those early EPs and I just I didn't get that here poking around has I I just think of it as more like goofy than memorable (laughs) but um I didn't feel like like a song like Broken Hands did not work for me. Like a 6 minute long slow track was not what I was looking for out of this band. How did uh, what didn't work for you? Um
0: I mean his his vocal approach is very um difficult. I think yeah. Dirty Gert said this like, this band is um, a, a, can be a chore to listen to, and I think it's that vocal style is so limiting. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the style; it's the fact that, I mean, for the most part, he's he just does what the guitar does, and the guitar is only playing two, in some cases, only playing two chords. So it's just like droning back and forth with the guitar. So mm-hmm. I, I when I after I get through the record and then I sort of sort of landed on that, like, okay, these, a lot of these songs are following the format. So yes, you need to do some production stuff to make that interesting. Otherwise it's like, okay, I've heard this song. Um, Yep. So, you know, that's probably the biggest thing I I don't like about the record. Um, They get past it. Like I said, sometimes with, poking around just has another melody going on. So you, so you, he has something else to play off of. It's, it's stronger than just the two chord guitar riff um, or the organ or, you know, there'll be some other part. Um, I even like "Fun's 91 cause there's no vocals on it. So, um, and the, you can just tell they're just jamming, which I think yeah. is, is good for them. You know what I mean? Don't overthink it. Just like, let things kind of go a little bit loose and where they go and and try to capture that. Go back to your point about broken hands I mean to me the, the record starts off a little slow and it doesn't really to me kick in a high gear until thorn. Um, I think it hits a pretty good stride between thorn into the drink. I don't mind broken hands too much. Um, I'm sort of into the into the album by that point. who you driving now is kind of reminds me of a hive song or could have been a hive song. Then it it falls apart a little bit to me again. It gets a little slow and droney. So it's a little bit up and down. Um, I don't. Some of the production choices I get, the the record is, and some I don't. The record is very inconsistently mixed. Um, So a song like "Move Out." with that extra acoustic guitar. I kind of get what they're trying to do when they mix in the acoustic and usually it worked on the record, but on that tune, I just found it like, like uh, I was disoriented when the song started. Like what the hell is going on because it's mixed so different. That acoustic guitar is so loud um, and hard panned. It's just really strange. Um, So there's some experiments on here that Production-wise, and some different mixing that they do. That there's a couple tracks where it they just sound distant, and then there's other tracks where they sound really there. And the, they move the vocal; they try to move the vocal around to you. And I find like, who uh, who you driving now? Mm-hmm. They pan the vocal. It's a, like more often the distance, and you get the band kind of up in the middle, especially the bass. um I found that kind of mixed to be cool because it sounded like a band in a garage, you know, where you'd have the PA set up coming out of one speaker and you maybe sit right. in a cabinet. I thought that songs just mix-wise sounded the best, but it's the only one that sounds like that. It seems like, you know, there's maybe three to five different mixing styles they used on the record and depending on the song, they, they would move it around a little bit, which is a little weird. Um, For a band like this, that's so simple. Like, I don't know why you would change the mixes up so much just put the instruments where they go and leave them there like an ACDC record like think oh, you need to be getting too crazy um so yeah it, it's inconsistent um and I think to me the the, the band just fun fundamentally has some aspects that I you know don't love and I think are limiting and there's times where they play off of those and it works really well like they play to their strengths and it works really well they stretch a little bit and works really well and other times where it's just either bland difficult to listen to or kind of a mess
1: yeah well i i don't think his anytime the band slows down i have a trouble i have a hard time with his vocal it's just not designed for that Unless you're going to go with like menacing like yeah. the way that Iggy Pop could do it and and but Iggy Pop could get low with his vocal and that's the thing that is missing with Mark Arm. He can't really yeah. he doesn't have a lot of range <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah, um, I feel like this band and I I'm, I'm, might be tipping my hat a little bit here. I don't think they ever should make an album. Like I feel like this is a perfect five song e- or six song EP band. Like yeah. that's all I need. I just need like six songs in 20 minutes or six songs in 18 minutes of of tracks. Just blaze through a couple songs and then do like a weird if you want to do a 6 minute long slow track to finish the EP that's fine. But f- like 14 tracks with two instrumentals it's just a lot to ask out of this band when their production choices are so abrasive to the average listener and i understand that like some people are really into this sound but i've listened to a lot of garage rock bands and i've listened to the stooges there's a lot of really well-produced records that aren't glossy but they've just captured the sound well but this reminds me more of like sort of a middle tier, almost guided by voices record where it's not like the four track where it's completely unlistenable because it's filled with hiss and, and, yep. you know, bad, you know, keyboard drum loops. And it's not the Rico Kasich super produced side. It's, it's in that middle section where if the songs don't like grab me, I don't want to, I'm not going to listen to it. Like I will give it a one listen and then I'm, I'm moving on unless there is a killer melody. You know, I think of like, Alien Lanes and B-1000 when it comes to Guided by Voices. Those are really not good sounding records. But there are a couple of killer melodies. So that's really the only reason I'm going back to those songs. And I'm not going back to those albums as a whole. Because I'm not into that lo-fi production as something that I want to listen to over and over again. And that's how I feel with this band. Like You can get away with it for a couple songs if your songwriting is always gonna give me something really cool yeah but this album just lacks that like i mentioned earlier it just lacks one killer song and because of that it doesn't really carry the if it had that level of song it could carry the rest of the record and make me interested in some of the more um you know lesser album tracks but um it's just not it's just not there and i completely you get what the people were saying comments with regards to, um, I understand the importance of this band, but it doesn't make me want to listen to them. Like I understand the importance of the velvet underground, but I I don't really have any desire to listen to the velvet underground. Right. Or or Bob Dylan for that matter. If, if anyone wants to like take away my, my critic cred, uh, I just, I, I don't care for Dylan's voice. So it's never worked for me. And that's the number one thing. Like if I don't like your, if I don't like the way that the voice sounds, I can't really get over that. Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't feel like he was this limited in Green River,
0: which is which is interesting. I this feels like now that I've spent time with the, that band and then listening to this, this definitely seems like a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's always been um I don't I don't know anything about him. I've always just had this this um I guess image in my head of him is just being kind of an asshole <laughs> and he might be the nice guy in the world, but I don't know. Just, you know what I mean? Like one of those characters you hear about in the fringes or whatever, and hear little anecdotes here and there, or maybe you see a little snippet or hear a story and you just start to pr- paint this like picture of who they are. Sure. And the picture that's been painted in my head is just that he's just like a sarcastic asshole. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe that's just part of like the way he sings or something. I don't know, but uh I can't I help don't him know think like this was a this is a choice not a limitation
1: Isn't there a story is it on the 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 malfunction DVD or or somewhere else maybe it might be on one of the other documentaries from that era Didn't Mark Arm go to a concert with Jeff Amet and Stone Gossard and maybe somebody else like it was like an Iron Maiden concert or something like that or Judas yeah. Priest and, like, they were into it, like, legit intimate. And Mark Arm was sort of, like, disgusted that they were actually into the... Like, he was there to make fun of the concert, and they were like, no, this is awesome. Yeah. And that was sort of, you know, part of the problem with that band is that Mark Arm didn't didn't really care for that sound, yeah. whereas, you know, Jeff and Stone did. Well, I think the...
0: To go back to my comparison between Iggy and the Stooges and Aerosmith. Like now we think of those bands as being, you know, oh, those are both classic rock bands from the, you know, early Mm seventies, but they couldn't be any more different. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then at the time, the people who listened to them uh, were, were very different. Um, And the people that they influenced were very different. I think we're, we're at a, you know, a place where now we're older and like, you can like both of those. And it's like, not weird. But right. I think it very much represented a completely different ethos and like social circle and view of the world um, at the time. Yep. And that's yeah. like the difference between, you know, Pearl Jam was was headed more in the Led Zeppelin Aerosmith kind of uh, from a music standpoint. And obviously Mudhoney was not, they were in more of the Iggy and the Stooges vein.
1: So here's the interesting thing about this record. Um, Even though this band was not wildly successful in terms of, you know, uh, a commercial appeal, this record did sell 50,000 copies like when it was released in July of 91. And it basically saved Sub Pop from going under because at this point, Sub Pop hadn't had their breakthrough yet.
0: Um,
1: So there was enough buzz with Mud Honey and Seattle. I mean, remember, Nirvana is still two months away from releasing Nevermind. Um, and so there was still it was still like an underground thing. This is still an alternative nation, 120 minutes, midnight on Sunday, yeah, type of deal. But it was enough to keep Sub Pop in business. Yeah. Um without really a single like there was no there was no charting single for this record It this ch- this ch- album only charted in the uk and went to number 34 in the uk which makes sense because there's always like a weird <laughs> um offshoot band of some scene that catches on in the uk that doesn't it doesn't get big here right so. so that makes sense um so i guess you know i'm not surprised that I'm surprised that it sold so well prior to Seattle blowing up in comparison to like, you know, a lot of, I mean, this is an indie label in 1991. So yeah, that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, But I'm not surprised that there was no huge single off of this. So here's the question. Were the album better EP or decent single? Where do you land?
0: I'm at a better EP. Um, I take Thorn into the drink, Broken Hands. Who, 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 who you driving now? Fuzzgun ninety one poking around. That's my EP. The, there's not, there's not much more. Those other songs are giving me. That, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I feel like I'm getting. Uh, not getting new material or, you know, a bunch of great songs. It's like they're all pretty much the same caliber of songwriting and they have generally the same approach. I don't know that it warrants, you know, 14 songs to get that.
1: No, I'm right there with you. I think better EP, I would be like a five song EP with Let It Slide, Thorn, Into the Drink. Um fuzz gun and I, I might include something so clear just cuz that's got a nice craziness to it um but i i five songs is really what i need from this band in a recording unless they're putting together a greatest hits or something <laughs> which would be a interesting i guess it would be a best of you wouldn't have to you wouldn't be able to do a greatest tits (laughs) it would would be a best of and uh so here's the thing on our poll at patreon decent single 18 percent better ep 9 percent and worthy album 73 percent wow so the the folks who uh who dig mud honey they came out ahead but this was not a runaway in terms of yeah. You know, sometimes we only get one vote for yeah. Better EP or decent single, but there were um you know there were a couple votes for decent single yeah. and better EP. So I don't uh I don't blame anybody for having, you know, a, a range of views on this record. I think this is either gonna hit you right or it's not in in I think that's goes for Mudhoney Honey in general. Yeah. So Oh there's a giant spider on my floor. I just I'm gonna go scream now. <laughs> Use me while I scream. On, okay. Ohio. You don't have dangerous spiders there. They're just cute. I, it, it looks like a tarantula. I don't know if it is. Maybe it's a black widow. I don't know. Uh so whew. Jay, we got one more to do this year and then we're done. Yeah. We get to, then we get on we go on winter break, Jay. What are you gonna <laughs> do? You gonna go sledding? You can go sledding, get some hot chocolate. Take a ski vacation. Yeah, there you go. Um wanna remind everybody that you can suggest an album for our polls that might win, or it might be a runner-up. That's right. Uh you never uh, know. Might, you never you know. Go in there and just
0: pull a second place go uh, goat getter and And review it.
1: DigMeOutPodcast.com is where you go to suggest an album. It's also where you go to sign up for the box newsletter delivered to your email inbox every week. New releases from the 80s and 90s relevant to the podcast, as well as reviews. One-minute reviews of new records that have come out uh, recently. And then also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive Feedback over at Apple iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.